kind of a little different segment this morning here on the farming show we're, we're gonna get a little bit artistic we don't normally do that here on the show but it's good i mean so much conversation here on the farming show happens about the farming community and to see a representation of that in art and, and no i'm not talking about painting or photography or some of those things that you might expect i'm talking about in written word and in in a, an incredible story not i guess this sounds weird not a true story a, f- a fictitious story a novel uh, but the, a novel that's set here in Whatcom County with a very realistic backdrop that for a lot of folks will harken back. To, it, it's set in the mid-80s to uh, really in some ways a different time, a time just before things really started to change a lot in farming here locally and across the Pacific Northwest. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Welcome back to The Farming Show here on KGMI News Talk 790. Um, Having an author join me this morning, an author I know pretty well because she was my English teacher in high school, Cheryl Bostrom. Welcome to the program. Thank you for being here, and thank you for writing this book, your brand new book, just out, um, just available now, probably in stores, as well as in Amazon, on Amazon.com, which, you know, that's where everybody seems to get everything these days. I always like to support the local shops if and when possible, so we'll get that info from you later. But the new book called Sugar Birds, set here in Whatcom County, again, not a true story, but a story that will ring true for a lot of people's experience in the local farming community. Community and informative, I think, for folks who maybe moved here after that era or, or people who didn't grow up in that rural farming community of northern Whatcom County. Cheryl, talk about this book and, and all the, you know, I could tell you put a lot of thought and passion and your own experience into this. Hi, Dylan. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, Sugar Birds is set in the mid-80s, and it's, uh, in a nutshell, it's a story of a, of a 10-year-old girl who lights a tragic fire and runs and hides in the woods for a month, and then of the people who are searching for her and are trying to bring her out of the woods um, before this wilderness claims them all. And, and it is set in the land that was familiar to us in the 1980s. And as you know, um, my husband's a, a dairy veterinarian, just recently retired, so the heyday of his uh, of much of his career happened during that time and I was with him a lot on the farm and and uh, and so really gained experience being around some of these wonderful places that our county um, you know has has uh, you know people who've lived in our county for all for all these years you know the days of the 50 to 100 cow farms when mm-hmm. there were so many of those and when the owner often the owner milked their own cows and found the sick ones and and treated them you know with you know called the vet and had the vet out but you know when the cows pastured in the summer and corn not much corn silage was grown it was mostly pasture and grass silage in the winter yeah you know and they bought grain and alfalfa you know so i mean those days i mean the 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 dairy industry's changed you know and Mm -hmm. uh and and so i wanted to have a dairy in this story and i do and it's a larger dairy with a you know with a a double six um, milking parlor and a couple hundred cows, which isn't big by today's standards, no. but it was big back then. Yeah, in 1985, that would have been pretty pretty sizable operation. Yeah, yeah, because those were the days when um, a farmer could have a cow that he'd really, you know, re- that he'd spend a lot of time with, you know, doing all the milking and all the caring himself. 
And then when that cow died, I mean, there were there were farmers that would cry over their cows. That's how close. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of these relationships were with these animals, and uh, and so yeah. So in the in in this story. Uh, this little girl escapes into the into the forest, you know, along I call it the Holly River, but it's it's a pseudo nooksack with a different location. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and and there's a map in the front of the book that readers will identify with, and it was drawn by a local artist, uh, Emma Vandevoort, who just mm-hmm. graduated from high school, actually. And uh, and so they'll be able to see the the course of this river that flows through this valley that's full of, of uh, dairy, small dairy farms and berry fields. And then it's a page turner. You've got people trying to find this little girl. You've got all these relationship dynamics. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I yeah. like just, just to comment on the style. You talk about it being a page turner. I like how you de- it seemed to have deliberately made it a bit cinematic in in the flow and the feel of the story, how it comes across that makes a a story like that so much more fun for me to read. Um, So I think you're exactly right in that, that description. And it's, it's so unique to me to have that level of writing and art in a novel yet at the same time have it set here in, and as you mentioned, you know, some of the names may be changed um, <laughs> of places and things like that, but it's pretty clear for those of us who lived and have lived and grown up here what you're referring to, how that just is a place that I'm familiar with, and here's this real, you know, not real life, but a real human story playing out in that landscape that I know. It it's, has this sense that's close to home for me in a way that I've never experienced reading, you know, other books set in other places that I don't know as intimately. Hmm. I hope you re- I hope I hope your listeners enjoy reading it in in that regard too. You know, and it's built around these characters. So even though the plot is you know, there's a, it, it's a definitely a, sus- a suspense story that that uh uh, a number of people have compared it to other nature stories like uh, The Great Alone or uh, Where the Crawdads Sing, but it, it, it's its own story as well. And it, it's important to me that the characters that the characters drive the story. And um, this is what's called by some people who use the term upmarket fiction, which means that it's um, it's got the compelling plot line of a uh, you know, of a general market of general market fiction, yeah. um, and yet it's got the layered characters and the layered themes. Because this little girl, um, her worldview transforms because she believes that she has done something so terrible that it can't be forgiven, and that there's nothing good that can ever come out of it. And so she's hiding from all these people who are looking for her. And she has an extensive knowledge of the natural world. You know, as even as a ten year old, because her dad was in the Alaska Forest Service, Forest Service, and he was an arborist and he has taught her a lot of survival skills so all of that is very uh very carefully drawn in the story and i hope that readers will just immerse themselves in it and and really enjoy it we think of of history oftentimes in terms of well i hate to say this but oftentimes very boring books um and and they can (laughs) find interest for specific people but you know i think of the two volumes of uh roth's history of whatcom county and there's a lot of fascinating stories buried in there but boy is that a daunting book to dig into but it gives a very interesting perspective on on local history but it doesn't necessarily capture a lot of the human elements and that's where if you look in in other areas and other eras we do look to fiction to record history in some way 
And I, I think that that's a bit of the role that this book is is playing. As odd as that might seem to some, here's a book that's, again, on one hand, it's fiction. It's not true, but it is true. And it captures really that history in a, a vignette, in a, in a, well, more than a vignette, more than a snapshot that's emotionally and, I guess, um, in terms of the territory, the landscape, the background, the human storylines is real to that era that wouldn't necessarily even be a thing today. Exactly. I think you just nailed it. And and I know I love learning history through historical fiction because then I'm engaged with the characters. I'm emotionally involved in what's happening in the story. And then I absorb it. It's more of a it's more where the story comes alongside a person and they draw you into the experience of it and you don't come up for air until it's over. And then you have lived it much more than just picking up head knowledge or facts about history that you really don't see any relevance to, you know, in any other context. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, and, um, and you know, there's some commonalities to today in the story, while it's a very different time, but the, you know, the emotional and the spiritual hungers that are universal to all of us, regardless of when or where we live, are played out in the lives of these characters. And, and while young readers will enjoy it as, as well, you know, a Oh, say I don't know, thirteen and up. Mm-hmm. Those who are, those who are older, who have more life experience, will recognize themes that will probably just blow right by some of those younger readers, mm-hmm. because because the relationships are intergenerational, and you know, and there's there's a lot in there about you know just the roles that that. Uh, trusted adults have and what Mm. happens when adults when adults fail kids you know when adults fail kids you know is there is there anything that's too awful to be forgiven or anything that's too tragic to be redeemed you know and and so those questions are asked in the story and those are things that are universal i mean well and and you say that you know the way that you summarize that it feels cinematic it's like that's something that you see in a movie but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us go through those kinds of things uh, of feeling like, Man, I've really screwed this up. I, I don't oh, know, yeah. you know, will my community accept me again? Will my family, you know, what, what can I, just within that realm, you know, I, you have to stop and, and, and be honest with yourself, I think, as a reader. This isn't just, wow, an entertaining story. These are, these are real human themes that we go through. There is, and by the way, we're talking with Cheryl Bostrom, local author, uh, Lyndon Bay based author, her husband, a longtime local veterinarian. She's been around the, the local rural farming community for a long time, uh, talking about her new book, Sugar Birds, which is available in a variety of places. Again, we'll get the details on where you can get your hands on this book soon. Uh, but Cheryl, in this book, there are some pretty serious mental health uh, issues raised too, which probably even it's not that long ago, you know, 30, 35 years ago, but even in that time, probably a lot more taboo than now. Uh, I, you know, that's something that I like to talk about, and particularly on my podcast, Real Food, Real People, about, you know, the struggles that folks in these independent lifestyles in rural areas and farming communities face. And that's, you know, woven through this book as well. Yes, and uh, the mother, Bree, in the story, Aggie's mother, uh, has an increasing, uh, increasingly difficult time with manic depression. And because of that, she isolates the family from their church. Um, Dad ends up teaching these kids 
the catechism through what what Aggie calls kitchen church. Uh, they're pretty isolated, and and so her dad sends this little girl into the woods to you know to hunt for the father's song, and he tells her when you. You know, when you find it, draw what you hear. And he encourages her to sketch the nests of these wild birds uh, to find hope in them. And uh, and so that's what she ends up, uh, why she ends up loving these trees so much. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you're, when you're from a small town, and I think, you know, you and I could have many conversations about this, Dylan, but um, we're all going to make mistakes and then the community finds out and mm-hmm. and i can't tell you how many times i've uh spent time with kids you know or even older adults who who really feel like maybe they the community never got past something that they did or mm-hmm. or whatever and i in in this story the projection that aggie does onto herself because of the mistake that she's made has her putting herself in a self-imposed exile. And there there are people just clamoring to bring her home and to welcome her and to love her and to forgive her, but she can't see it. Mm-hmm. She thinks she she thinks she's killed her parents. Mm-hmm. And um and so here's this little 10-year-old girl grappling with these issues that, you know, really a lot of people, a lot of small town people, a lot of city people yeah. have have encountered in in believing that what they believe about themselves is what they think other people believe about them. And it's an interesting study. We are getting a bit artistic today here on The Farming Show. I'm Dylan (laughs) Honkoop, along with local author Cheryl Bostrom, who indeed was one of my English teachers in my academic career in, in high school. I'm trying to remember, maybe sophomore year? I think um, so. So yeah. that would, I mean, it's my, my tw- 20 years since I graduated this year. <laughs> I was in the same classes as your oldest, Andrew. So you know how, how long that's been already. What, what, you know, just to get a little uh, personal history, what have you been up to since that time? Well, I, I'm trying to think. I'm right when I finished, yeah, I, I wrote a couple more books, I wrote two mm. nonfiction books. Uh, the View from Goose Ridge, and then Children at Promise with Dr. Tim Stewart. Mm-hmm. And then after our kids, uh, after our kids left home, and I lost someone who was really dear to me, I had mm-hmm. some more writing projects in the works, but I just was pretty much moping around, and so I decided to get as busy as I could. So, and enter and enter other people's lives in ways that I could help them. So I did real estate for about eight years, mm-hmm. and then I just kept hearing the hearing hearing the call back to yeah. try the, the hardest writing that I've ever done, and that's fiction, but it was also the most exhilarating. <laughs> so I think a, I learned, lo- a, I lot, a lot of people would think, well, that's easy. You're just making it up, you know, so you can you can make <laughs> it be whatever. But I I have written very little fiction in my life, but I can, I can see the challenge in doing that. And it's something, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you know, the idea of writing a book still kind of boggles my mind. Where would you start? How do you do this? How do you get that much stuff out? How do you make it all fit together? Uh, you've done it a few times now. Um, you say this this book, Sugar Birds, is, is the most daunting project you've taken on to date. How do you start that? I mean, you just map this all out or you just start writing, put, putting uh, pen to paper and, and writing the story out? Well, some people do plot the entire thing out and there's kind of a 
a, a running commentary about right about fiction writers either being plant uh, plotters p l o t t e r s yeah. <laughs> or pantsers. In other words, they write by the seat of their pants. Yep. And I and I guess I would consider myself a hybrid. I know the trajectory. I know the arc that I'm going to be following. I know where the, I want the story to land. But uh, but once I start writing, the characters really start doing their own thing, and they talk to me, and I'll I'll have the the rails laid out so that I don't end up off on rabbit trails and end <laughs> yeah. up throwing away hundreds of pages, yeah. and I have thrown away a lot of pages, but wow. um, but uh, yeah, and then and so the story the story unfolds from there. I I had the marvelous opportunity. Let me back up a little bit. I I wanted to uh, I wanted to really learn how to do this well, and it, and writing fiction is a whole different animal than uh, you know than writing nonfiction, which I had done for many years. But um, I had the opportunity to work with some terrific editors. First one who <clears throat> just talked to me about developmental concepts, and her name was Sandra Bird, and and I learned a lot from her and finished the first manuscript. Then I sent it off. It won a couple of awards, and I thought the book was done, but uh, agents didn't know where to place it. Mm. Um, that's a lo- another long story. <laughs> so back to, the, you know, back to the drawing board then, I, I contacted an editor in New York who was um, very well regarded. It was a 30-year industry person, and she had, um, she had done the editing on a number of of wonderful books, but including uh, The Help and Lilac Girls. Oh, yeah. Her name, yeah, Alexandra Shelley, and she, uh, she. It was like work. It was like a one-on-one MFA. I would oh, hyperventilate yeah. sometimes getting back material from her <laughs> because I didn't even know what she was talking about. But anyway, after a lot of revisions, a lot of rewrites, then Sugarbirds emerged from that. Where can and we're just about out of time uh, talking here with Cheryl Bostrom, local author. Um, what where can people get sugar birds right now what what are the the options well you can get it any place i like you i encourage uh, village books you know local independent bookstores yep. to support them it is of course available at amazon and barnes and noble bookshop.org also supports independent bookstores and it is an audiobook and uh, it's narrated by the um, Odyssey and Earphones Award winner Jane Entwistle, and she wow. she's got four pages of books on Audible, and and that's another wonderful story. But we don't have time yeah, for that for, for sure. Yeah. So a lot of options where people can get it. Again, the name of the book is Sugar Birds, written by Linden-based uh, local author Cheryl Bostrom. Thank you so much for your time uh, to tell us about all of this and, and putting this effort into really, in like we've talked about, document in a way some of the history of, of the local farming community here in Whatcom County in, in such a unique and artistic way. Uh, so I appreciate that. And I also appreciate, you know, you were one of the people that encouraged me very early on that I could be a communicator myself and I could be a writer. And, and you know, that led to, to uh, my career, you know, first in news and, and now here working in PR and, and trying to, with, you know, my communications, you know, my passion for communications, being able to support the local farming community, which has been a, an amazing full circle kind of story for me as well. So thank you. Love that. Thank you for that as well, Cheryl. Mm, oh, Dylan, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not the least bit surprised that you've been able to do what you, what you do because, uh, yeah, you, you were a, uh, you were a quick study and a lot of talent. So, <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.